Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Happy back to school, everyone. I mean, some people have already been in school for like two weeks, <laughs> but I guess no. for the people that are coming up in September. You only even if you're a couple weeks in, you're about to go in, this is the season of back to school. You are either doing last minute prep, going on last minute vacations, trying to take a breath. I feel like the school year just ended, but we are back here. I hope to our listeners, you had a chance to breathe this summer. We know the last two years have been intense. Not that every school year, if you're dealing in the world of special education, your world isn't intense always, but just especially these last few years. I know we've had a couple of episodes the last few weeks kind of getting into the beginning of school. So, you know, we'll continue that trend. And, and if you yeah, is- didn't get a chance to listen to the last couple of weeks, go back. We hope that we're able to kind of get you started on the right foot this school year. Yeah, and this is a good reminder if you've been in school for a couple of weeks and, you know, things are not lining up the way that they should, you're kind of already seeing some issues, request that IEP meeting because guess what? It's going to take about 30 days anyway for them to have the IEP meeting. So you'll have a good amount of maybe six weeks time, right? If they wait until the 30th day to, you know, have the teachers kind of get to know the kiddos, or if those issues that you're seeing are already kind of loud, you need to have that IEP meeting so that you can address it. Uh, One of the things that we, we're just going to get right into it with our guests is how we always talk about inclusivity, right? How are we looking at this school year, the 22-23 school year, and how are we trying to make it better, right? So today we have Larkin O'Leary. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Heck yeah, I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) So you are not only the president of Common Ground Society, which I'm really excited to talk to you more about, you are a Google certified teacher and Can you tell us a little bit more about your background, kind of give some color to what a Google certified teacher is and what Common Ground Society is? Yeah, absolutely. So I have wanted to be a teacher ever since I was in fourth grade, and I may or may not have been the one throwing spaghetti in, you know, in the lunchroom and like (laughs) daily note home, you know. So I'm not going to, you know, say whether or not that was me, but it's possible. And I had a teacher in fourth grade who like took the time to get to know me. Right. And she like, she treated me, she didn't look at my cume file, but rather like got to know my human beingness. And ever since I had her as a teacher, I turned around in school, right. I got better grades. I like cared about education and it was really because um, she got me the help I needed and she supported me. And so she actually passed away my sixth grade year of cancer. And before she did, I went in and saw her and I told her, you know, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to do what you did for me for other kids. And so, you know, I started on my teaching. That's like a core memory. That is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, what started my everything. 
And so I immediately went to, you know, Chico State after high school. I was always working in classrooms in high school and got my teaching credential. I'm a general education teacher and have been. I graduated in 2005, I guess. Maybe, you know, who knows? (laughs) Years seem to just fly by. And, you know, and I was just a passionate teacher. I just loved students. For me, it's always been just about the connection more than about the academics, right? And like the way that the academics will get better is the connection gets better. And then my son, so Google certified, I actually got Google certified the week I found out I was pregnant with my eight-year-old son. I was flown to Chicago. I got to go to the Google building and learn all about it. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, it was really awesome. It was right as it was coming out. And so I was with a bunch of other, you know, passionate teachers learning about how to use technology in the classroom. And this was before all, you know, having websites for your classroom and all of that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that was what happened there. And then, you know, staying connected with my um, Google certified Chicago teachers. It was a really incredible experience. And then uh, my son was born and he was unexpectedly born with Down syndrome and and hearing loss and just a whole lot of medical issues. And I clawed at my job and my district was beyond amazing at supporting me and my husband. My husband is also a teacher and has been just as long as I have. His mom's a teacher and principal, you know, it's like, you know, teacherhood runs in the family. Right. And so when James was born, we had like planned it perfectly because I'm a Virgo. So we plan things. Right. And I'm like, okay, I'm in March. I have this many sick days. I'm going to be good to go. And then I'll go back full time um, the next year. But what ended up happening was James had open heart surgery at three and a half months Mm -hmm. and then intestinal surgery a week later. And then the next, and so I didn't go back until December and I only went back part time. And then the next school year, he ended up getting, having another major surgery surgery with, and ended up with a G tube. And so I ended up having to take another leave and it was just, it was really hard. And I ended up having to resign my position as a teacher. But the one thing that was amazing was just really understanding how my son affected my teaching and uh, every piece of it. Right. And understanding like when James was two and a half, I didn't, I didn't know anything about disabilities or down syndrome, you know, as general education teachers, I love, love my students and that every single one of them and every piece of them. However, like I didn't know any, you're not trained in disabilities or behaviors or how right. to deal right. with all of that. And so I didn't understand like all of the pieces of, I would be go to the RSP teacher for the child, the autistic child who was in my classroom and say, okay, what grade should I give him? Right. Like, because I didn't understand what right. about assessment and how like assessing a non-speaking child on their sight words, like by them saying them verbally, that's not really assessing, you know, like that type of thing. Right. Right. So when my son was two and a half and he started matching the picture teacher to the word teacher and he, and you know, the color red to the word red, and he had like a vocabulary of over 30 words he could match at two and a half. I was like, wow, like this gets smart and he could learn. Right. And so it really got me on this path of learning more about inclusive education and how it can work if we really just reframe our mindset. And so Common Ground Society was sort of born out of all of those things. You know, there's a great, I mean, incredible Down syndrome community, not only in our own community, but just around the world, right? And um, 
But with my son going through all those medical issues, I just didn't really feel like I fit in. And I fit in more with the medical mamas and the mamas who were in the hospital. I mean, James has had 30 surgeries, hundreds of days in the hospital. Um, But isn't that interesting because of that, you know, you find more in the same kind of on common ground, right? Um, With the, just the medical side of it, right. um, rather than the like unique learning needs side right. of it because of what you're, yeah. Oh, that's right. incredible. incredible. And, you know, and throughout all of that, like I met some incredible people who had rare or one of a kind diagnosis who were like traveling this path alone. And I just, it broke my heart to know that like, I had this group of, you know, down syndrome is the most common genetic anomaly Whereas we have like Cornelia DeLange syndrome, Prader-Willi syndrome, you know, all of these different syndromes where they're like all by themselves, 22 Q11.2 deletion, you know? And so I created a Facebook group with like 30 people that I had met in the hospital um, and along the way. And now long story short, and we started with like donuts and discussion. And now we have like over 600 families in the group and um, we do moms meetups, dads meetups, family meetups. And then it's just sort of blown up. And at the same time, our my son's preschool asked us to come in and do a presentation for World Down Syndrome Day. And I was on leave at the time. And I was like, heck yeah, I'll come in and teach. Like, yes. And so <laughs> we did a presentation and the press, de- our local no- newspaper came and uh, did a story and all my teacher friends saw. And they were like, come in our classroom, come in our classroom. And too many classrooms. We started whole school assemblies. And it was a hit. So far to date, we've reached 25,000 students, over 25,000 students. We've done over 60 other presentations to colleges, to future teachers, to Kaiser Grand Rounds, California SELPA. We've even done like our local orthodontics office. I always say, you know, anybody who will listen. Yeah. And just talking about our mindset shift, because I really believe that like you, if you don't have a connection to a person with a disability, it's really hard to understand how different each of them are, regardless of the label, right? And understand that piece that we all learn differently. Like just because someone has a label doesn't, you know, change that. I think that's a lot of the misperceptions that we have all over the world, but certainly in the, the world of education and looking at the idea that, oh, this child has a label, this child has an IEP. So we got to think about all the things that we can't do, but not thinking about the differences between all kids and how question maybe needing to support certain kids in a general education class when they don't have an IEP, but we think it's just so impossible if they have this label, not thinking that they could actually be better at some things just because they have an IEP doesn't mean that everything is going to be difficult for them. So that perspective shift is so important. And it's something that we like try to shout to the rooftops too. Right. And it's, I mean, regardless of diagnosis or not, your range in your classroom is so wide, you know, and as, and it's interesting, like as the grades get higher, that range gets bigger, yet we still, as the kids get older, we segregate them even further, right? Just because they have a label and not to say that, you know, separate placements aren't warranted or aren't like a good thing. I believe that every family has the you know, they know their kid best. And if that's where they think their kid is going to thrive, then the team should always be listening to the parent and be, you know, having the conversation. However, it shouldn't be the first placement. It shouldn't be the first thought. And I think it's one of those things where on paper, it makes sense. 
Yeah. Okay, we're going to go at a slower pace. We have less kiddos. You know, we're going to be going blah, 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 blah. And like that always gets parents. They're like, oh, okay, cool. And then you get into it and it's not what it was on paper, right? right? It's not being implemented in the way that it should. It's not going to the unique needs of the child. Sometimes the entire class revolves around the child that has the lowest cognitive ability. And so then your child is like way ahead. And so then, you know, and and we get it, that's hard, but that's why we want to be able to have the support and services for the teachers so that they can do their jobs. And that's what's so frustrating because yes, we, you know, all kiddos learn differently. And, and, you know, Amanda and I are of the inclusion model. We can teach all of them together, but if the teacher doesn't have the right resources or even the right background, like you had said, as a gen ed teacher, you didn't really, you know, you kind of got what you got and you just dealt with it. Right. But our teachers really at the ground level need that experience and need just to see how it can be done. Um, And I think that that is just, it's, we do such a disservice when, yeah, we go right to separation. Right. Right. Uh, I hear what you're saying. If it's right for that kiddo, then, you know, let's go for it, you know. Right. But like, you know, my son, so this is the first year my son attended ESY only because, you know, all the pandemic, but also his aide that he had in the classroom over the year, who was amazing, uh, was going to be able to go with him. And so I thought that that would be a great fit. However, even within that special ed class, that special day, like summer school class, all they did was the alphabet and they did the same things yeah. he was doing in TK. My son, the last day of school earned his word master like shirt. Like it's like an award they get in first grade. And he's fully included. He knows his sight mm-hmm. words. Like he mm-hmm. is learning how to add and subtract and tell time. He doesn't need practice with the letter sounds and the which letter is which, right? Like that. And so even if we are going to like have smaller classes, which we should just have smaller classes, like period, right. every right. Kid, benefit from that. But if we're going to do that, then we still need differentiation even within the special ed classrooms. It's not like a one size fits all approach in any way that you look at it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately we were, I think some school districts get so stuck with like the minimum requirements. So like when we talk about that ESY and we talk about the purpose under the law of ESY, is just to prevent regression. It's not to move forward. And so we see these one size fits all programs. I mean, throughout the year, of course, but certainly in ESY, where it becomes so difficult for so many students on IEPs to benefit from ESY because it is meant for really set of students and not individualized at all, which is a problem. And You know, I think one of the issues is we're not even considering that middle ground student, the student that is making progress, still needs a little bit of support, but doesn't need these low end foundational skills. We are doing the bare minimum of, well, we have to do ESY. We're not required to do gen ed. We're not going to think outside the box and think maybe we could have two ESY programs. And I have one district I'm working with now that had at the end of the school year announced that they the small school district. So they realized that there were a lot of gen ed kids who needed a little support after two years of COVID. And they created a gen ed, essentially ESY program that was different, right? That was the kind of that middle ground. 
And I think that's a great idea for school districts, but we're not getting enough of them thinking, you know what? This is the minimum, but that's not enough for our kids. We needed to be doing more. And I wish we had more schools thinking outside the box, doing more than the bare minimum. But I think that's the same thing that we see with training, right? Teacher training and the initial credential programming that doesn't include any special ed training. Right. Yeah. It's a model that I keep saying, like, I wish we could just blow up the entire educational system and start again, because we are like acting on things that were, were built in, you know, centuries prior and it's not working anymore. Our population has changed and, you know, the neurodiversity has changed and the behaviors and like why we didn't take better advantage of this pandemic to really do this uh, is beyond me. It's very frustrating and sad. Like mm-hmm. look at all the teachers that are leaving. We're not going to yeah. ever have enough teachers. It's so bad. No. And you, I mean, you are preaching to the choir. We yeah. say the same exact thing. Like, why did we not take this opportunity to completely like reset? You know? Right. If you listen back to some of our first episodes, like the summer of 2020, that's exactly what we're talking about. We were trying to like see the silver lining and try to think like, yes. okay, well, maybe we'll use this time to mm-hmm. realize that like this system isn't working. We need something different. And unfortunately, fast flash forward two yep. years and back, back when we started teaching. Yep. Back to like, oh, here's my May folder. And I'm just going to take that May folder and I'm going to do everything I've always done. And yeah. Yeah. So in your work and what you've been kind of promoting with Common Ground Society and what you look at, obviously it takes a lot of work to change the credential system. And so obviously we want to do that. But in the meantime, teachers that have already been trained, what do you see as like what school districts should be doing to help better support their teachers and train them for inclusion now that they're like already teachers? In training them on universal design for learning, right? And the very first thing is the mindset shift. And that's what I think is the most important is having like the thing that is special, I guess, about what we do is that we are teachers who are like shamefully admit that we weren't the best teachers to all students. We wanted to be, we love teaching, but like we just didn't know how. And now that we know better, let's do better. And that's the type of thing that like those folder teachers that I call them, you know, need to like understand it's going to make their jobs easier. It's going to make their lives easier. It's going to make teaching easier. It's going to make it better for the students, right? And the families. And so if we were trained in UDL practices, and, and it's not that we have to like transform our entire classroom right now, but like Start adding visuals to one lesson. Start creating menus for students to show the way that they understand things or the way that they learn, right? Get to know your students is the number one thing. And don't always be set on, I'm going to assess, you know, the American Revolution with them writing an essay. Well, what you're really assessing is them like writing an essay, right? And so really reflecting on their, their practices and trying to, you know, presuming competence and coming in and learning how to there's the learning by design, right? And universal design for learning that will all help all of our students. It's not like, you know, it's like these inclusive playgrounds, right? Having an inclusive playground doesn't make it so that the other kids who are non-disabled aren't going to play. It just makes it so that everybody can be part of it. 
So I, you know, universal design for learning is something that I wish was pushed more. I do see it. We present at Dominican and we present at SSU, their teaching programs, and they are really like pushing universal design for learning and planning like that. And we back it up with our, you know, stories and things like that. But universal design for learning is where we need to start shifting our education. You know, we love shifting of perspectives. And I think you gave a lot of great easy, because it could seem overwhelming, right? Like, oh my God, how do we, you know, but just even, you know, I don't trust anybody that thinks that they know everything about my profession, you know what I'm saying? So like, you know, even just starting for, and you know, we should all love to learn, um, especially in the educational field. But I think what you provided are really simple, like just add a visual, you know, you don't have to go, you know, zero to 60 and create these like, you know, um, inclusive and uh, disability, like, like, no, just like, it's fine. Like just start. And I'm sure if you really think about it, some of the things that you already do are because, you know, they work, not only that. But I'm just kind of thinking about how I've seen this meme or this like posting go around and it's like, you know, wearing corrective glasses is an accommodation for disability, but you don't see that because it's been so normalized. Right. Um, Right. and, And, you know, we see this a lot with some of the accommodations for our deaf or hard of hearing kiddos where they get the teacher can wear like a mic and um, they have just like this little sound system that yeah. that would just kind of sit on the desk and you know we'll get some of the districts oh well that's you know they're gonna look like you know so different and I'm like do you not understand how many other kids just absolutely right. love it one the teachers love right. it because if if they're soft-spoken which you know some elementary school teachers are they their voice isn't strained right, right. And because everybody right. can hear them you know why are we not normalizing that why is that not already something that we can provide and and I right think, and you know, I, I would even argue that like if they look different it's the same as we would teach kids that someone with glasses or someone with different color skin we're all the same we're all different but we're just, we're all students, right? And like, so even if the student looks different, I think we harp so much on, oh, we don't want to do this because it'll make this child stand out too much. And it's like, number one, if that's what they need to learn, that's what they need to learn. Yes, We need to be adjusting the classroom environment and culture to make it acceptable for the kids to get what they need. Yep. And that's like the other piece of what we do. We do presentations to schools so that kids can like, so James, we did a presentation at James's preschool elementary school before he came into TK, right? My son came into TK looking like he was three years old with a soft band Baja on, right? Hearing a hearing device. He was chewing on a chewy. He was non-speaking. He used sign language and he has Down syndrome. So he has a visible disability. But when he walked onto campus, he was basically kissing babies and shaking hands. This was for the pandemic. So it's fine. But you know, he, they like called him the mayor of Madrone, right? Because he would walk mm. onto campus and everybody just accept knew who he was because we talked right. about it, right? We took the elephant 
elephant out of the room before yeah. it even entered the hallway. And that's like the biggest piece of, you know, our presentations or presenting or talking about it is if we talk about it before the students are have the ability to, you know, be bullied, you know, and that's that fear we feel when we see somebody we perceive as different and kids don't know what to do about it unless we teach them. And kids, some kids laugh, right? Because they, it's that feeling and they don't know what to do with it. And that's just what they do. Or they they bully or they completely ignore, right. right? And it's just because they don't know what to do. They've been taught to don't look, don't stare, you know, but like we encourage, don't stare, show you care, just smile and say hi, right? It's okay. I know my kid's different, but that's okay to smile and say hi, ask questions and find similarities. If he's wearing a shirt with a basketball on it, ask if he likes basketball, right? Um, so right, giving them the right. tools to, um, understand that it's okay that James is doing something different in the classroom or is making noises or whatever in the classroom. It's that's okay because that's what James needs. What do you need? You need something different too, right? Like we all need different things. We're all different humans. Absolutely. And I think that is just part of what it means to be inclusive, right? And, um, you know, why we're able to look at the teaching programs and how how can we meet this evolving, if you had said evolving neurodiverse population. Is there anything else as we're kind of wrapping up that you would want teachers to know or, you know, just even parents on the other side of, you know, how we can get, you know, to this more inclusive environment in our classrooms? You know, I think my biggest like piece of advice or thought is, you know, understanding that the core of the reason that teachers or admin or whatever got into their job is not for the money, right? Teachers and admin and people who work in the educational system got into it because they love children and they love seeing that aha moment, right? Every teacher loves that moment. And sometimes when you don't know what to do, you get stuck in doing what you've always done. And so coming into your IEP or coming into it with grace and understanding. And, you know, I always call it the compliment sandwich, right? Like I really love how you X, but here's the problem that I'm having. Let's work together to solve it. It's a team thing. And the same thing with the educators thinking about the parents, parents come in fiery because I'll be honest, I've been fighting for my son's life since the day he was born, right? Like I have had to do that. And so people don't understand when someone comes into TK or kindergarten and they're all hot already, you're like, whoa, calm down, right? Like you just, you're just starting school. But like, I mean, since day one, I've had to advocate super hard for my son to get what he needs. And now I'm going into an educational system where the belief is it's a fight thing, right? It's what we're going to fight. But like, if you can come together and remind everybody why we're here, right? We're here for the kid. I think you'll have more success with that inclusivity. We're stronger together. Exactly. (laughs) We we don't want this us versus them. It's us versus the problem. Right. The problem is segregating everyone. And it's not, you know, as good as it may have previously been thought. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Larkin, we are just so thrilled that you were able to come onto our podcast and talk about just 
your family and, and what you've seen. If people wanted to reach out or contact you about Common Ground Society, how could they reach out to you? Well, we have our website, commongroundsociety.org. We're also on Instagram and Facebook as Common Ground Society. You can email us at hello at Common Ground Society. And we're happy to chat and figure out ways to work together and just make this world a better place. Like, can we just change the world already? I don't know. Yes. So long. Absolutely. I love that. That's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much, Larkin. You guys hang in there. It's the beginning of a new school year. It's the Wild West all over again. Hopefully it'll be better than the last. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.